0: You're listening to... Whoa! Hot Luck.
1: And welcome to Books and Boba, a book club and podcast featuring books by Asian and Asian-American authors. My name is Marvin Yue. And I'm Rira Yu. And we are here to discuss our October 2023 book club pick, Natural Beauty by Lingling Huang. Um, And man, what a... What a perfect read for Spooky Month. Um, as always, Books and Boba is supported by our listeners at patreon.com slash books and Boba. So if you'd like to support us in our efforts to cover more books by Asian and Asian American authors, um, head on over and become a patron. Uh, books and Boba Patreon members gain access to our members only Discord server where you can talk to us and fellow book club members in real time, as well as Boba Chats, our monthly bonus podcast episodes for members only.
0: And if you are a Honey Boba member, you also get to have the benefit of recommending our quarterly book club picks. Uh, This month was also a quarterly book club pick, and it was sent to us by Jennifer Hatfield. So thank you, Jennifer, for recommending our spooky read for this year.
1: Yeah, I imagine we'll have a really good conversation because it's book, man. It is a lot. But before we get started, I um, want to give our general spoiler warning. Um, we will be discussing Natural Beauty by Li Ling Kuang in its entirety, which means we'll be discussing plot points, character points, and all the plot twists and reveals. So if you have not finished the book and don't want to be spoiled, um, this is a great time to push pause and finish the book and then come back and listen to the rest of the podcast. Um, but with that said, uh, Rira, I think you had some content warnings you want to share as well, right?
0: Uh, yeah, trigger warnings for people who are sensitive to Body horror. There's also depictions of sexual assault and uh, drugging. So just proceed with caution if any of those are your triggers.
1: All right. So to start off our discussion, um, Rira, why don't you start us off with the book jacket description?
0: Our narrator produces a sound from the piano no one else at the conservatory can. She employs a technique she learned from her parents, also talented musicians who fled China in the wake of the Cultural Revolution. But when an accident leaves her parents debilitated, she abandons her future for a job at a high-end beauty and wellness store in New York City. Holistic is known for its remarkable products and procedures, from remoras that suck out cheap Botox to eyelash extensions made of spider silk. And her new job affords her entry into a world of privilege and gives her a long-awaited sense of belonging. She becomes transfixed by Helen, the niece of Holistic's charismatic owner, and the two strike up a friendship that hazily veers into more. All the while, our narrator is plied with products that slim her thighs, smooth her skin, and lighten her hair. But beneath these creams and tinctures lies something sinister.
1: Yeah, so this story is about a young woman who dives into the world of wellness culture at a big um, group-like company and unearthed like, a lot of horror underneath and like any good horror story it holds a mirror to our modern day society um the book explores the concepts of you know beauty standards and what women do themselves to reach those standards in addition to being like a child of immigrant story and while i definitely related more to the child of immigrant um uh, filial piety guilt part of the story I get the feeling that the the parts of the story about beauty standards probably affected you a lot more um because me as a dude you know I can definitely sympathize but um I can't relate on a personal level um so I'm really curious what are your initial thoughts of natural beauty
0: yeah this was a deeply unsettling read for me I would classify this as women's horror because a lot of times our character doesn't have agency, does not consent to a lot of the invasive procedures later on in the book. And the entire time I just felt my skin crawling. And um, it's funny because I read an interview with uh, Lingling Huang talking about her experience working at a wellness store. So this was actually based on... Uh, A lot of um, her own personal experience working in wellness culture. And and she's also a
1: um, Grammy award-winning violinist, right?
0: Yeah, she is a professional musician as well. And in her interview with The Cut, she said, My book has been called many things, including speculative fiction, literary fiction, and body horror. But for me, it is sheer fantasy. The fantasy of escaping the performance of gender and the constant appearance labor our hyper-capitalist society expect us to maintain. So uh, this book has a lot to say about beauty standards and consumerism and uh, wealth and privilege. So I'm pretty sure we're going to dive into all (laughs) of that goodness for the next hour.
1: Yeah, so the book begins with our our narrator, who is an unnamed narrator, um, taking a job at Holistic, which is the, you know, the not-goop of this story, right? And through her early days, she starts recounting how she got here. We get to see her past through flashbacks, and we get to see her, her story of growing up with parents who survived the Cultural Revolution, even though they were artists, and eked out a meager living in the States, teaching piano, eventually teaching her daughter, who turns out to be a prodigy, and gets scouted for uh, conservatory um, due to becoming famous on, I guess, YouTube. What did you think about this like initial part of the book before things started getting really weird?
0: Um, I thought it was interesting to start off the book with uh, our protagonist working at like this greasy fast food restaurant as like a dishwasher. And she just happens to meet uh, one of the co-founders of holistic holistic with a K by the way, because, you know, we're fancy Um And she just gets a job out of nowhere. And I was like, huh, that's like really suspicious. I wonder like what the setup (laughs) is. Because it was just like a weird introduction into this world. But I do like how um, we start off with her giving up, uh, you know, giving up classical music.
1: Yeah. I mean, we get a clue of that because we don't really know her background until we get that scene where Sage, the, you know, the girl boss founder of Holistic (laughs) walks into her restaurant where she's working while she's on break and talks to her and recognizes her as the girl who played, and I'm forgetting the musician's name, but like that piece. And so it starts off as kind of like, it's portrayed as a coincidental meetup. Um, But as the story progresses, all the pieces start aligning where you start to realize, no, it it wasn't coincidental at all. And maybe this is me not picking up on genre conventions. But um, I didn't put those pieces together until like midway through the book.
0: Yeah, I mean, like just me, I I, I was just curious being like, what, like what? Like who, who, like who comes up to you and being like, hey, aren't you YouTube famous? I will give you a job at like my like fancy wellness company and I was I was just like okay there's something sus but I don't know if that's just me knowing the plot of the book beforehand as like a reader and I (laughs) already have like my red flags up but maybe because
1: I can also um see like the white savior reason of oh look I'm so benevolent I'm gonna give this very talented minority woman a chance to be her best self because I know she's meant for more than this life
0: but I thought it was interesting how our main characters' parents were also very talented musicians. I feel like that is a background that is um, usually not portrayed when it comes to Asian immigrant uh, Asian Im- immigrant parents. Um, and I just love the fact that music was uh, something that was really intimate in their family. It was like a language that they spoke to one another, and there was like so much love when it came to playing these Western classical music. And um, I really love the fact that we see this contrast with her family versus the conservatory because classical music so often is attributed to, you know, being wealthy and having, uh, you know, having access to a higher education and therefore higher tastes. But classical music can be enjoyed by all classes. It's just that, it's kind of been gate And a lot of uh people in upper society, uh, they I don't know, like I I feel like they treat classical music as just I don't know, like a uh, designer wear, you know, like it, it they just like have it. But they don't really appreciate it at the same time. So I loved how we got to see that contrast between like a poor family (laughs) who really um, understand the depth and emotions of music versus rich people who do not care at all.
1: I thought about you a lot during this part of the book because I was like, Rira must be loving this, like all this conservatory academy All this drama. Music talk
0: because i love <laughs> music related stories yeah, yeah um.
1: and you really do see the difference between like you know her family and how they approach music and then that scene where she first plays like a, a very difficult piece at the conservatory and she's immediately asked like what were you like what are your thoughts like what's what's what are your thoughts on the theory behind it and she's like i don't know i just i just felt it
0: yeah and the thing about classical music when you're going into training, so much of it is just technique. Like, they focus so much on technique and theory, and it's almost as if they just want to, like, mold you into the sound that's, like, been popular in, like, the 70s and 80s, which were uh, when, like, white male musicians were at their peak. So, like, everybody is striving for that golden standard, and... I oh, don't know. It just like reminded me a lot of the beauty industry as well. Like this, there's this ideal standard that everybody is striving for, even though everybody has their own color and their own beauty. And um, there's also just like a performative action to beauty as well. And with classical music, um, like for performances, you have to dress up. You Like so much of like what you see on stage is... Just, uh, how should I say like, me Like, obviously you are enjoying the concert through your ears, but so much of it also is like the experience of being in the theater. You dressed up and also the violinists and the soloists all dressed up. There's just like this very like formal atmosphere to it. And I don't know, like it, sometimes it just takes away from like the the artistic... Uh, substance. I don't know, like I don't know how to explain yeah. it. As someone who like came from a family that studied classical music, it's really, it's really funny to me because my mom genuinely loves classical music. I mean, that is what she studied. That is what her family studied. And um, you know, she listens to it with a lot of um like she has emotional attachment to it. Whereas my father, he listens to classical music because that's just what, you know, intellectual people
1: it's cultured
0: uh listen yeah it's like cultured and it's just so funny to me like the the contrast between that and also just um like stories of like like stories that i've heard from my family where um they would focus so much on what they would wear at concerts i'm like why is that so important when you're being judged on like, how well you play your music, albeit it's going to be to, like, the judges' standards of scoring. Yeah. But, like, very often it's, like, if you're not dressed as if you're, like, a million bucks, that, that's going to play into your scoring.
1: Yeah, I mean, definitely gatekeeping was a major theme in this entire book, in, like, the gatekeeping of classical music, the gatekeeping of the, the beauty industry. And it was really sad to see her identity start to get chipped away throughout her experience at the conservatory, right? She was getting bullied because she was too good, but also because she dressed like a poor person and she didn't look like she belonged. And, you know, it really, it really sucked to see her start to buy into that, right? And start to, you know, take the money she was going to send home to buy herself nice clothes so she can fit in better and kind of just start losing what joy she found in in performing, but, but finding other things to latch onto, which is like the approval of her like her mentors right, who were obviously yeah, I mean, taking bel- advantage of the poor minority child and like showcasing her as like kind of like a monkey right
0: yeah, I mean belonging and just kind of blending in that is a survival tactic that is protection and um even if you are at an all white conservatory, obviously if you are rich, you will blend in like rich people it's just so natural to them uh, of course they like no classical music have had access to all of these great mentors and like just have been born with this innate taste uh so for our main character to come from a poor family and it's like why is she so good <laughs> like she didn't she didn't come from uh like she's not part of our world so it, it she just seems kind of alien so i don't really blame her for trying to you know win the approval of her mentors and trying to, you know, achieve this gold standard in order to protect herself. Cause that's the only way she can yeah.
1: really survive at this cutthroat academy. I mean, I'm not blaming her. I'm blaming the system. Because the system is Oh yeah. Is wrong. Bla-
0: yeah. <laughs> and also like the thing about classical classical music and, you know, ballet and pretty much like classical art. Um, it's really glamorized. People think that You make a lot of money doing it, but you don't. (laughs) You look very fancy and you get paid shit. (laughs) So uh, like when her mentor is just bringing her to all of these like private events and charity concerts, I'm like, oh, yeah, they have to peddle her as a as a performative monkey so that they get
1: the money to keep running the school. Yeah, and there's this common refrain throughout the book about the way that they describe her playing, which is, it's a little off. It's a little ugly, but it's compelling. And I thought that was a really interesting way to present what is essentially the thesis of the book, right? Like, you can't have beauty. Like, beauty doesn't exist without ugliness, but ugliness is just as compelling or just as important.
0: Yeah, yeah. I I thought it was interesting how... Like, she she describes, like, how she makes that unpleasant noise blend into the beauty of her, um, of the sound of the piano. Like, she scrapes her nails uh, when she's playing certain notes. And she makes sure that, like, uh, there's, like, more reverb for, like, maximum impact. And I'm like, oh, like, that is... I don't know. I feel like that—that that is like normal technique, but who knows? Because <laughs> uh, I've—I've seen like very shocking pianist techniques where like they use the piano as if it's a real percussion. They like bang on the uh, the actual piano and also like scrape the strings inside. So I've seen some very <laughs> shocking uh, performances like that. So like just her having this this little nail scratching technique and people being like, oh, wow, like it's it's so groundbreaking. I'm like, I know, I know that's probably <laughs> not not all there is to it. But um
1: Right. And then so the reason she has now quit a conservatory and working at a fast food restaurant is because um on her her last, I think one of her last senior shows her parents came to watch, and there's this heart, really heartbreaking, like, chapter where she talks about how, like, her parents never sit up front because they're ashamed of how they look. So they always sit in the back, but then she always knows where to look for them, right? And I was like, oh, that's, like, that's that's very relatable. Um, but then because she asked them to stay longer, uh, her parents get into an accident on the way home and end up, um, I think, are they in a coma or they're just, like...
0: They're not in a coma. They're definitely awake, but... Um, no
1: they suffered like brain damage or something right Yeah, like, like
0: brain damage yeah. or something.
1: And have to essentially spend the last like how many years has it been? Like 2 years, 3 years? It's It's been a number of years. Yeah.
0: I like I don't remember the
1: exact. Uh, but they spent that in a essentially an assisted living home and she has to pay for it and she's running behind on payments. So, you know, it's a it's like the filial piety story but turned up to 100, right?
0: Yeah, and also she can't do the thing that makes her valuable as, as like a moneymaker you know like she is unable to play the piano again after this horrible accident because you know it's her family who taught her to play piano to love piano it's so tied to like her uh emotional connection with her parents and to just have that brutally you know severed like how can you go back to playing the piano Um, Even if that is like your only marketable skill. Uh, So it really was heartbreaking to get the backstory on that.
1: Yeah. Which leads her to her taking the job at Holistic because it it pays way better than her her restaurant job. And essentially drinks the Kool-Aid, right? She like buys into the mission. She, you know... as an employee, she gets all this free stuff, but I want to talk about that first day so the I think the first few chapters um detail her her first day at, at I was about to say goop, but it's holistic you um, can just say goop, like <laughs> and there's this there's that part where she gets registered as an employee and she goes into like she gets all this stuff done to her like sprayed scanned, and I'm like this is like I would not be okay with any of this. I would be like out of right away <laughs> like. But I think that's like, that's kind of a metaphor for the not only wellness, but beauty industry, right? Which is like all this stuff you use to make yourself look better. Like, do you really know what they're actually doing to your body, right?
0: Yeah, it's like when you take supplements, like someone tells you, oh, this will give you clear skin. What's in it? And and you look at the ingredients list. You're like, I don't know what any of these means. But uh, (laughs) if if they're selling it, there must have been some reason, like some test so I guess I'll take it. Um, And really, it is disturbing how passive she is to all of the procedures that are uh, just pushed onto her. And she is quite a passive character for most of the book. And I know that can be like very frustrating to some readers, but I really like that aspect, especially since she is unnamed. Um, It's kind of like, what everyone is projecting onto her, she's like, okay, well, that's who I'm going to be. So that's kind of how I, like, read the character.
1: And it makes sense narratively because, you know, if you read it, but because growing up, she was kind of molded to be this kind of person, like being told what to wear, what to play, who to be, right?
0: I mean, it's a thing that, you know, just... Women are <laughs> incentively like they they are born into this world thinking that they are not enough, that they always have to strive for perfection and perfection doesn't exist. And it also changes with every era. Um, beauty standards are always changing. A lot of the times, um, like if you just wait, a wait maybe like five, 10 years, like your body, your body type becomes like the new trend. (laughs) So uh, I think like maybe two, three years ago, like BBLs were extremely popular. Like having like a super curvaceous body, having like a big butt was considered very beautiful. And you would see so many young women going to get like surgeries done in like uh, West Hollywood. And if they can't afford that, they fly to South America to get like cheaper uh, procedures done. But Uh, With BBLs, it's like one of the most dangerous cosmetic procedures you can possibly do. People have died from doing it. And it's very unsafe. And still, like, hundreds, thousands of women go through it because they want to seem beautiful. And for women, beauty is a socioeconomic power, you know? Like, if you are considered conventionally beautiful, you get pretty privileged. You get to move up in the world. People treat you nicer. You get to have better job opportunities. So can you blame women for (laughs) wanting to be beautiful when there's all these incentives and, you know, you're constantly being pushed uh, towards products? And I don't know, like it's like for men, it's different. Because you guys are in the dominant culture. <laughs> and for women, it's just, it, you just constantly feel you're unworthy. And um, it isn't until you reach a certain point in your, in your life where you're like, I do not care what society says. And um, even if a company says, oh, this is what self-care is, you know what self-care is for you. Like, you know yourself better than anybody else. Like, you know, you need like, you, it's like you probably need more sleep than like this, this serum that costs like $400. <laughs> like the whole idea of you will be happy. You will be happier if you buy this product because it will make you prettier and therefore it will open up all of these opportunities for you rather than just, be working on those opportunities yourself is just the paradox of being a woman in modern day society. Yeah. Especially when it's a capitalist (laughs) society.
1: Yeah. And I think that's kind of the inherent horror of the wellness industry is they're selling you stuff that like, it's like any like motivational speaking or like anything, right? They're, they're, They're kind of selling you stuff you already know, but like packaging in a way to like, extract money from you um and i think reading this book reminded me of a podcast series called the dream um which is a podcast about essentially scams right or things that can be scams so their first season was about mlms which is like the the not pyramid scheme pyramid schemes and their second season is about the wellness industry and they go into things like crystals and tinctures and natural oils right or essential oils and things like that and i think I personally see it as kind of the same way I view say organized religion, right? Like I am not a religious person myself, but I do see, or I can understand the allure of having like a set of stories, guides, like something to help you, you know, be a better person, be a good person, live a better life. Like, I personally don't need that myself, but I can see why something that offers that um, is attractive to people. And in the same way, the wellness industry sells similar things, right? Like living your best life, thinking positively, um, being a better person. And again, I don't really fault people for being drawn to those messages because you know that's what everyone wants: is to self-improve and to you know feel good about themselves. But it's when, you know, companies, individuals prey on those insecurities and, you know, real honest desire to self-improve, to exploit and extract that that's where the real horror is, right?
0: Yeah, there's a scene in the book where uh, one of the co-workers, I think it was Lilith, Lilith is telling our protagonist, you don't want the customer to be entirely satisfied with the results of the product that you're selling. You always want to leave them wanting something a little bit better so that they keep coming back. And I'm like, wow, that is really evil and manipulative.
1: (laughs) I liked Lilith's character. Like she was the only person in the entire book who kind of knew what was going on. Like she went along with it, which, you know, we can judge her on that, I guess. But she had no like no illusions that what she was doing was bullshit.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And also, like, it's interesting that she uh, went to journalism school and she worked She began working at uh, Holistic so she could like take it down from the inside and like be able to uncover some like unethical stuff. But like eventually she was like, oh, no, it's like this business. It goes way deeper than just the beauty industry. There's some really powerful people attached to, um, to Holistic and all of their partner companies. It goes beyond just being beautiful. It's all about power. Yeah. And she does not have it. You can't go against like a, a giant. So do we want to uh, talk just...
1: about the tech bro at the center of holistic?
0: I, uh, I, for- I mean, I you forget can. his
1: last name, but his name is Victor, and he's literally the first person. That we meet in the book when um, our main character first enters the holistic office, and he's portrayed as like this tech genius who's revolutionizing um, the world, and he's very much portrayed in the vein of like the quote unquote genius um, entrepreneur, a la like Elon Musk and Mark Zuckerberg, where like he's just changing the world for the better. And you know, this particular tech bro is very focused, singularly focused on beauty and making the world more beautiful and you know doing that in a better way um but you know we learn as we've learned about tech millionaires in the real world that he's just a boy with a ton of money and because he has so much money he's able to um pursue a lot of his really skewed and like messed up ideas right of how the world should be i'm curious what did you think about uh, the character of victor
0: I thought he was very duplicitous. I mean, he's someone who boasts that his company is uh, eco-friendly. Everything is organic. All the ingredients to the beauty products are organic. All procedures are organic. But organic does not mean that it's good for you. I mean, think about some of the diets that people go through. Like some of these people are eating raw meat, like one cup of raw meat and like Three raw eggs every single day. And I'm like, I know that those are organic ingredients that you could probably put it on topically, but consuming wise, that's probably not good for you. And it just reminded me of how manipulative, um, like the quote unquote clean industry is. Cause like the whole like clean makeup movement is very insidious in in my opinion. And also, like, if you think about it, like, a lot of the clean beauty products are, like, ex- like, they're extracting from other people's cultures and stuff. Like, I'm thinking about skincare products where they'll be like, oh, this, like, this skincare product was part of traditional Chinese makeup from, like... <laughs> from like this dynasty and we have perfected the recipe and I'm like you could get that like anywhere in Chinatown like you can like with snail mucin that's another thing that um that is just like mind blowing to me like white people being like oh we have serums now that are like made from snail mucin and in my head I'm like but like Asian people have been using snail mucin for forever you're just packaging it more like (laughs) <laughs> more attractively like you're packaging it so that it's easier for white people to just buy at like a very uh, buy at a high price point even though they can go to like any asian supermarket to get that same product they they're not going to because it saves them the um the effort of going so i don't know it just it just seems very like exploitative, this entire industry. It's like and, um,
1: Trader Joe's Kimbop, right?
0: Yeah, I, I mean, yeah. And it just makes me question the title of this book as well, like Natural Beauty. There's nothing natural about beauty. <laughs> There's nothing, <laughs> like, who 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 is considered naturally beautiful? It's the people who are already, like, living life with an abundance of money, with access to things. And there's really nothing natural about that. And um, yeah, the whole like clean beauty industry is very exploitative. Like when you think about all of the ingredients that goes into a lot of these clean products, they're actually, you know, not stuff that you should actually consume. A lot of them you can put on topically, but you're not going to be eating like raw raw meat as as, like, your diet. You're not going to just drink smoothies forever. Like, that's not... Like, that's not actually healthy, but because it's marketed that way, people people buy the Kool-Aid. They People buy the smoothies. And it's very manipulative. And also, you have to think about what is considered natural beauty. Like, we think that, you know, to achieve natural beauty, you can't be trying too hard. If you are trying to, you know... If you're trying to be wealthy, you're already not achieving natural beauty. So people who are naturally beautiful, they're probably going to be already, they're probably going to be people who already have access to a lot of products, which cost a shit ton of money. Um, I know like a common saying in social media is you're not ugly, you're, t- you're just poor. You're just unable to buy the products that make rich people beautiful or the procedures that make them look young so the whole like idea of natural beauty there's nothing natural about it
1: yeah it's a really interesting title and you know the book does examine what does natural beauty mean right
0: let's talk about like the first day our main character comes into work like you said you were very surprised by all the uh procedures that they were like making her do and like them gathering her uh body data But one of the first things she notices, other than uh, Victor, the founder, is that all of the girls kind of look the same. And she's like, huh, am I a diversity hire? And it's it sets up a pretty creepy uh, story beat later on. It's a pretty clever setup.
1: Yeah, that plot beat really took me by surprise. And, you know, um, throughout the book this is where like the body horror of it comes along. It's, you know, um, our main character starts observing that her body is changing, right? Her, her legs are getting longer. Her skin's getting lighter. Her hair is getting lighter. um, Like her face is changing. And I think it's like probably about halfway through when she comes to the realization that, um, and this is where she comes to the realization that all of the, all of our fellow co-workers are fellow minorities, but they all look white and blonde.
0: Yeah, it was very, I don't know, it was so unsettling when I found that out. Yeah, and,
1: and that was the scene where Sage tries to get her to change her name. Right. Because she asked her what her name means and she says it means Lotus, um, which means that her, her real name is probably something Lian, like, like L-I-A-N probably. Um, but she wants her to change her name because the the customers are getting uncomfortable because they can't pronounce it, which is such a I was dying there because as people with hard to pronounce names, like we can totally relate to that. Right.
0: I mean, your name, Marvin, like My I, mean, I know name, your though. last name is but like people can call you Marvin and they know what that is. Like what that is spelled like with with my name, though, I get so many variations of it. And it's uh, <clears throat> and it's quite entertaining sometimes. But really, it reminds me of seeing Asian people work at restaurants and they have like a white person name like Courtney on like their name badge. And it's like, you know, that, it, you know, it's not their name, but also like it provides them protection, you know, because it's like they don't have to constantly correct people and and this way it's like you know their name is very personal it's special to them so to have like other people like mispronounce it and taint it i mean in in one way i can understand like adopting like a white name as kind of part of your uniform but but like if you add that to the fact that like everybody who works there is someone who is of a marginalized identity and they've just morphed into this standardized Barbie. It's really creepy.
1: Yeah. In addition to the fact that they were molded that way in order to sell products better, which kind of also talks about the access, like who's allowed to sell wellness to the rich, right?
0: Yeah. And also it, it brings to mind like, oh, is... Uh, is, like, the ideal beauty standard Euro-centralized? Is it, like, is, like, the default for beautiful white? And it actually reminds me a lot of... Um, I remember, like, back in college, I had a roommate who came from Korea. And she mentioned at one point, she's like, oh, like, all white people are, you know, all white people are attractive. And I was like, what? What did you just say? <laughs> like, Like, what does that even mean? And um it's even though like Asian culture we have our own ideal beauty standards I feel like when we think about the ideal woman a lot of people go straight towards like thin white blonde or you know light colored eyes light colored hair and it's and it's just I don't know it it's the whole idea of becoming the same entity and losing what's special about you your your DNA you're erasing yourself to become kind of like this Instagram filter of a person it's it's so unsettling it's so creepy, and that's kind of how I felt throughout like the entire book. I was like, oh my god, I just Like, I know my body isn't changing while I'm reading this book, but I feel like something is crawling under my skin and wants to, like, morph into something.
1: Yeah. And the twist don't stop there because then you start realizing that not only is she becoming, like, a white person, she's becoming essentially, like, a clone of the girl that she befriends, right? Helen, who is the niece of Victor. And, like, my brain was going into overdrive because I was like, is this some sort of, like... Um, never let me go a situation where she's being like turned into spare parts for rich people. Like I was, there were so many like sci-fi tropes th- flying through my brain trying to figure out what, what's going on here at that point. But
0: I remember I saw this uh, trailer for a movie, I think it was for Netflix and it was sci-fi. It was about this girl academy where all the girls are taught to like take care of their skin and their health like super well. And then the twist in the movie is that they harvest their skin for rich people to use to keep them having like plump young skin forever. And I was like, ugh. <laughs> like, it's like, you know, that rich people would do that. Like, even though it's like a sci fi procedure, you're like, no, people would pay so much money just to be young and conventionally beautiful
1: (laughs) that definitely sounds like something that victor would do through holistic and one of his other subsidiaries like it reminds me of those tech billionaires who um, inject themselves with young people's blood to like supposedly keep their bodies young and functioning and it's just the type of like horrific pseudoscience you can only take part in if you're like super rich because you can like use that money to control other people Yeah, Uh I have
0: nothing to add to that other than (laughs) the fact that rich people really do come up with the weirdest theories and they have endless resources to just test that theory. Yeah. And the fact that like Victor has like this no waste policy, it's just so gross when you think about like where where where's the waste going into? (laughs)
1: Yeah.
0: (laughs) But I think this I think it's really interesting how like even though. The company pressures you to have all of these procedures they're considered quote unquote voluntary, so of course.
1: I mean if- a lot
0: of the employees like they're getting a lot of these procedures done because i don't know there's like a bit of competitiveness with like the women who work at holistic like if one person is getting uh like eyelash extensions with like spider web like content, then they're like, oh, I need to have it. And that's like a very influential culture. I mean, that's just opinion.
1: how capitalism works. It's just convincing you to buy things that you might not really need, but just everyone else has it. So you need it too to compete. Um, you know, it's the whole keeping keeping the working class competing with each other so they don't rise up against, against the owners. Right. And there really is that competitive. Like you see that competitive nature, not only between um, our protagonist and her coworkers, but also with her roommate. Um, probably one of the, you know, not the worst character because Sage and Victor are the worst characters in this book, but maybe one of the more annoying ones, um, which is her roommate, Alice or landlord. She's technically a landlord, right? Who is, I guess, a fun shui analyst or something like I was trying to figure out what she does, but she like goes in and exercises, not demons, but like the past or something. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Very, it's very SoCal, (laughs) in my opinion.
1: (laughs) But as she rises through the ranks of holistic, she befriends, um, like I mentioned, Helen, who is the niece of Victor, um, who is like portrayed as like the ideal woman, right? Like the most good-looking, most beautiful, the most like charismatic. Um, And her friend Lilith, who is Helen's friend and our protagonist's, I guess, supervisor. Um, what do you think about their relationship?
0: Very icky. <laughs> I don't know. Like, I really hate it when… Like, with women, like, it's just better to all be friends, you know? Like, we're all dealing with the same oppressive shit. It's like, why are we pitting ourselves against each other? Why are we constantly comparing our looks to one another? Why is there, like… I don't know, like this need to be the best friend when you can have multiple best friends. It's just, I don't know, like the the ickiness of jealousy and um just like possessiveness that like Lilith has with Helen and Helen and our main character shares. It's just I don't know. It was like a very unnatural toxic relationship. <laughs> Um And, like, there's a scene where they go to, like, a gay nightclub and Leela shoves this drug into our main character's vagina. And I was like, what the fuck? Like, you guys work together. Like, what makes you think that that is okay? And it was just a very dysfunctional relationship that was also fascinating to read. (laughs) Because I was just like, where is this going to go? Is Helen and our main character, like gonna bang like it seems like there's some chemistry there but i also don't know if our main character is in love with helen or is in love with like this idea of helen being so like the ideal woman you know like it's like when you love the idea of a person and not really the person underneath so it was it was just like a very weird dynamic to read
1: yeah you can definitely tell that there's an attraction and there's like, a chemistry, but how much of that of that is I want to wear your skin and how much of that is, like, I actually want to be your friend. And the ironic thing is that she ends up literally wearing a Helen skin because she becomes, like, her doppelganger, right?
0: Yeah, and uh, Lilith, like, she mentions, like, when uh, our main character is now, like, pretty much Helen's twin, it's like, oh, you look like her, but you're not her. Yeah. And... It just And like if you think about it, Helen was actually a, a decent person. Like she was someone who, you know, was very generous, was, you know, like showed love through cooking and was very like much of a good listener. But it makes me wonder if she wasn't pretty, like, would any of those qualities have been um
1: valued? Yeah, I mean that goes back to like when you're rich and don't have to worry about you know working um you have time to be be other things um
0: yeah you can you can make appearance your labor <laughs> you can make looking pretty your job when you do not have yeah a job to stay afloat <laughs> i
1: actually did like i think i mentioned i actually did like Lil's character um i like that she was she was dry-witted she was very blunt i like that part in the book where where they mentioned that she kept her like she takes the same supplements as as all the other holistic girls but she made sure to keep her hair color black because that was like the one thing she um she inherited from her biological mother right because she is i think also like i think she's adopted yeah
0: yeah yeah yeah. i like it was a very emotional scene where our main character, she's looking at herself in the mirror and she realizes that she's lost all of her mother and father's features, like, the things that, like, make up her DNA. Um, Because, like, her parents are not with her. They are in a care facility and pretty, like, she doesn't know, like, how long they're going to be alive for. So to have these things that, like, remind her of her parents, it's, it's so sad to see that erased. And also, like, you know, you think about our parents who left, um, like, you know, the Cultural Revolution, war, famine, and you are the proof that they have survived. You are the vessel of their hopes and dreams. And to have that just be replaced by vanilla Barbie (laughs)
1: dream, like,
0: it's just, yeah, it's just so sad and tragic.
1: I actually didn't know how the parent storyline was going to end i couldn't predict where i I could kind of predict where it was going but i thought there would be some sort of confrontation because no halfway through the book the doctors do say that they're doing better and i'm like "Well, are they going to wake up and like not recognize their daughter is that going to be the conflict um what ended up happening was way more horrific which is that um the supplements that helen was Taking from the farm, um, the what what do they call it? The the gunk. Yeah, the gunk. Um,
0: Lovely name, by the way. <laughs> uh,
1: which is the the organic farm of Organic revisions, the the parent company of the partner company of of Holistic. Um, were experimental drugs that were laced with human remains, and so our protagonist unwittingly gave these supplements to her parents because she thought, okay, these will help them get better faster, and ended up like. Causing their death, right? Because of the um, seizures caused by cannibalism.
0: Yeah, and also Helen dies because of the supplements that yeah. she takes, and she stops taking them, and she like melts into this glob <laughs> of skin. And yeah, like, this ah! is where like the
1: body horror truly begins. Right? You, you thought the the changing your body was body horror? No, like this is where this is where it comes.
0: It was. <laughs> It was so gross. <laughs> yeah, um, and it made me also also like I get scared when I think about like what am what am I putting into my body? You know, because my mom also loves buying supplements and she loves giving them to me. So like oh. half the time I'm like, do you know what this is? Like they say that it benefits your skin, but like, do you really know? <laughs> like is yeah. this just Kool Aid that you're just giving me?
1: And this was about the time, like right before her parents pass away, that she, you know, she needs to pay for their treatment. And so she asks Sage for a raise. And instead of a raise, Sage gives her a new job, which is to be essentially a high class, like sex worker for rich people. Um, yeah, I love how she
0: like pitched it as like organic sex and I'm like isn't sex already organic <laughs> like what? like what do you mean by that
1: yeah and th- the name of that um this organic sex workhouse is apothecary which is like way a little too like mundane for like what they were doing in there uh, which is like doing all these procedures to prep her for her session and then like essentially she blacks out and wakes up with like blood on her sheets right and that was sus from also, the also like
0: papaya seeds coming out of her vagina i like screamed when i read that part i was like ew what are they doing to <laughs> her when she's unconscious like i said like it it can be labeled as women's horror because she loses agency of her body she doesn't know what she quote-unquote consented to and it is a freaking nightmare for any woman yeah. to like be in that situation but the nightmare actually, gets like,
1: worse right because then you find out what they're actually doing to her when she's unconscious
0: yeah like what they uh, i mean let's get into it like what they do to her when she's actually unconscious is that they're trying to develop this weird surrogacy program where they like inject like animal cells or some kind of like hybrid uh sperm into women so that like they make babies but like the gestation period is shorter and it's supposed to be for rich women who want to have babies faster like i like honestly do not know the point of this program because honestly you could just just make test tube babies i feel like that science is already there
1: well part of it is they don't want the to go through the physiology changes of a regular pregnancy right so they're trying to like bypass that as well and the most disturbing thing is um, when i think was a sage or The doctor is like explaining, maybe Victor, Victor is explaining the program. And they're saying by the time they're two years old, they'll look completely human. Uh, Which just gives like this really like, so like before they're two, they look like some sort of like animal baby.
0: uh, It's... It's weird. It's it it sounded like a designer baby program, but they wanted it to be as organic as possible. They're like, oh, I want a designer baby, but not from like, I don't know, like the actual science that involves it. I don't know. (laughs) Let's let's have let's use animals because they're like the most natural that we can we can go with. Right. And I'm like, I don't think you can put in squid sperm and expect a human to come out of a like it's just so weird it was very creepy
1: yeah i mean again the weird pseudoscience stuff that you can only pursue if you have a lot of money and power and honestly i wouldn't put it past them to use human test subjects that are Quote unquote willing, but only because of these their social and economic disadvantages, a lot of which they were put into by the people in power, right? We find out that um, our narrator, a lot of her situation was engineered by um, Sage and Victor.
0: And it's like so gross that Sage, like when she, she tries to justify it by saying, oh, like it made me so sad that like you were struggling so much for your parents' care, like by doing Like by by being part of the surrogacy program, you are uh, helping us uh, reach new scientific goals. And I was just like, she did not consent to having like animal sperm injected into her. Like what? Like what made you think that she would be grateful for that? Well, she
1: signed the NDA and the contract. Without even knowing, right? Because she did it while she was under the effects of the drug, which can't be legally applicable.
0: Yeah, it's not. It cannot be legally binding. NDAs are just inherently evil. I'm sorry. Um, And like her blacking out and waking up during during the procedure, it was like so, it was such a nightmare to read. And it actually reminded me of stories about... um, in Korea they they're called they call them ghost surgeries and it's when you go to like I guess like a prestigious doctor for like a very like simple cosmetic surgery you think that you have this doctor operating on you but as soon as you go under that doctor leaves and a different doctor comes in sometimes they're not even a doctor sometimes they're like a medical student and they have no surgery experience and they fucking work on your face. And you do not know until like after you wake up and you check like the CCTV. There's actually like laws now in Korea when it comes to like um, having cameras in operations. Um, wow. Because they're, like this has become a problem. And I'm like that. that's so scary. Because you're trusting a medical professional to do... Like you consent into one thing and when you're asleep, they're doing a totally different thing to you. And it's it's so creepy. Any story that any story where your body is not your own is just gonna be really creepy. I don't know. It's like just like so it the more I think about it, like the more unsettling and scary it becomes. It's not like a ghost story or or like um I don't know, like I think the reason why it's so sc- this book is so unsettling and scary to me is the fact that I know that if we had the technology people would do it. Yeah. And they would have no qualms, like like no moral like like no moral issues on like doing this to poor people who yeah, like need the money.
1: I mean, the true monsters all along, as we find out in this book, are the tech bros and girl boss gatekeepers because they have the power to do whatever they want and are willing to do whatever they need to keep that power. And so, I guess we can get into the climax, which is um, after they realize that our main character knows too much, um, they arrange to have her have her killed, right? Not only does she know too much, but she also has become compromised because she stopped taking the supplements, which throughout the throughout the book we thought was just to like change her appearance, but turns out it's also to prepare her for this to be a test subject for this like surrogate parent experiment right, and because she stopped taking the supplements, she has become quote unquote spoiled according to sage and so they take her up to the this mountain retreat next to the gunk which we we was actually foreshadowed earlier because sage had brought her up there to be killed originally but she woke up um and she finds herself in like this mountain of bodies where we also see like other characters we've seen throughout the story including lilith has been like dumped there as well which that was kind of um the part where after Helen dies and Lilith is like trying to like find evidence and says, okay, I'm gonna go meet Victor and Sage out in no. the gums. I was like, oh, that's a bad idea. That's like horror movie like caliber dumb move, right?
0: It's like, let's split up, guys. And I'm like, no, never split up, never no. split up. That's a bad idea.
1: Yeah. But our main character ends up escaping and kind of turns the table, right? She he, She uses the. Zoroastrian like Sky Mirror to, to um, turn the tables on on her captors, um, and then essentially catches on fire. Everything catches on fire. <laughs> catches on fire. Um, Victor's weird face burns off, and she like she passes out. And when she wakes up, it's it's kind of a new world, right? Like uh, Victor and Sage's crimes have been exposed. The company is being like shut down, um, but at the same time. She has also gone through changes now that she's off of all those supplements, in which she kind of becomes like a herself, a deformed, melty blob person, right?
0: Yeah, and curiously enough, she is okay with it. She's like, "I like the idea that like I no longer have to keep up my appearance, and you know, like I don't have to meet society's expectations." So I was like, "Huh, interesting. How you know she has freed herself." from that bodily prison
1: yeah maybe this is maybe this is what natural beauty really means Um, but it
0: is sad that like her hands got ruined because she can't like play the piano as she used to but it seems like she found like the ability to play again to
1: find love in music again so it is bittersweet i mean she finds it in her own way and playing it the way that she wants to play it or that way that she can play it. And it kind of goes back to her idea of like, everyone kind of found her sound peculiar because it didn't follow the rules, but kept trying to, to impose rules on it. But now she is truly like untethered from all rules, right? Beauty rules, music rules, and like can essentially live her life free. Um, it's just, it is sad that she had to, at least sad for us, right? As like people living in society that like she, I guess it is kind of, like, an irony that we feel like she lost something because she no longer, like, looks like a regular human. But at the same time, like, the author makes it clear that she's, yeah, she's totally fine with it. In fact, she embraces it, which is really is really cool. Um, there was that one scene where she goes back to visit Sage. And Sage, being the girl boss that she is, is, like, blaming the man for, like, everything, right?
0: Yeah, and also Sage, like, she has gotten, like, plastic surgery done so she doesn't look so much like a melted flesh from the fire (laughs) incident and she's pitching surgeries for uh our main character be like you know like we can fix you like you can be beautiful again like don't you want like don't you want all the praise and benefits from like when you looked like helen and our main character is like uh, bye, Sage. You can be <laughs> alone forever in this hospital. Like, I I am not drinking the Kool-Aid anymore. Like, so what if you're beautiful? Like, no one really cares about you. You're a criminal. And uh, I'm never going to talk to you again. Bye. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah. I thought it was a pretty good ending. I mean, you could say it's bittersweet. But for the character, it's not. The character is like, yeah, it's it's my life now. Um, it is sad that she had to lose her identity in order to be built up again. But I think it's essentially i imagine similar to what happens when you kind of get caught up in like a cult like
0: i mean yeah thing. it really did seem cultish <laughs> like a lot of the beauty industry it it really does seem religious yeah. cultish yeah i did enjoy the fact that like she is watching a documentary about uh about holistic and about like the whole scandal behind it and the experiments that were completely illegal and Alice is part Alice her landlord is part of the documentary documentary and I was like wow this is really funny (laughs) and like I felt like that was like just perfect like a perfect cherry on top to the whole commentary
1: on and the fact that like that documentary the whole like they spent a whole episode talking about the the harsh upbringing of Victor the tech bro and like how he overcame so much to build his empire and it's like even when we know the person is like a piece of shit with a god complex people still will bend over backwards to like exalt his like genius upbringing right
0: yeah and then when you make documentaries on uh you know scandals like like this it's like oh is the vic- are the victims benefiting anything <laughs> from it it just feels like you're sensationalizing their pain
1: yeah and i guess I mean, we may have glossed over some parts, but that's essentially um, the book. And man, what a, it was a really good, spooky month of read. So thank you to our Honey Bowman members for, uh, for suggesting it. Um, um, I think this book's actually been picked up to become, I think, a television series. Um, yeah,
0: by Constance Wu. Yeah,
1: so excited to, excited to see how that turns out because th- that final act is going to be wild to watch. On screen,
0: yeah, I like wonder how they're gonna do the whole um, transformation of her turning into just like a white lady. <laughs> like, are they just gonna recast someone yeah. in the middle? Yeah, really curious. Um, But we did have a Goodread comment from our book club member, Catherine. Thank you for contributing. Uh, And in their comment, they said, This novel was equally humorous and horrifying. The beginnings of learning about holistic was so goop and funny. I will say the spiderweb lashes would be worth a try for me. (laughs) Oh, my goodness. I don't know if I, I would try that. I think another like product that was mentioned in the book that I was just like, this is totally something that people would use is like the the little mites that people would put on their hair so that it's like clean and fresh all the time. But I'm like, but you have literally a parasite on your scalp. Yeah. eating. I was like, I don't know about that, but I, I can think about, like, I can see people buying into it. I mean, I can get behind, behind
1: the humane way they extracted silk from the silkworms um but yeah. are those silk rooms yeah, actually and- surviving past that day who knows but
0: yeah and uh catherine added i don't think the goal of this book is to answer or demonize beauty standards to me the author wanted to get across that the powers that be will always try to make you feel less than for any reason uh and be kind to your parents yes i agree with all of those <laughs> points
1: yeah i mean i think she kind of does demonize, maybe not beauty as like a, an aspiration, but the industry around that. Right? Like, oh yeah,
0: definitely the industry around it. Yeah, yeah.
1: Um,
0: I do wonder, as as someone who is in her thirties, reading this book, it was, I don't know, like I'm not too insecure about my appearances. I'm. I feel like I'm very tolerant of my appearance. But I'm sure, like, if I was reading this book when I was, like, younger, I may have felt differently. You know what I mean?
1: I mean, Catherine did um, add—thank you, Catherine, for um, contributing to the discussion. She did add an additional um, um, post um, that— talked about that like i also want to add that i think Juan did a great job balancing the bullshit that beauty standards are with the reality that we all play into it even if we don't want to how i feel about this book today is different from if i would have read this in my insecure 20s i wouldn't have found the humor and would have felt more guilt i think for feeling like i wanted the creams of holistic
0: yeah like when i think about how uh there was this phase in the beauty industry for fox eyes and I'm like you mean asian eyes like people are getting surgery to have asian eyes the the thing that people have made fun of us for for decades that's wild same thing with uh you know having lip fillers i have thick lips and i've definitely had people comment on them before and now that is like oh people pay money to get thicker lips and i'm like great well um that's a little bit that's a little bit uh hypocritical of <laughs> I mean, there's like this whole um, topic on beauty TikTok about how everyone is beginning to look the same because everybody uses the same filters and those filters like naturally gives you like a higher nose bridge, contours your cheeks and it's just like everyone is starting to look the same and people get very, very depressed when they don't look like they're filter in real life and i'm like of course you're not gonna look like your photoshopped self like i feel like that's like that's really unfair to yourself to compare yourself to like this ai version of yourself
1: (laughs) we just have to wait until like those cyberpunk contacts come into reality and we just live life in a filter
0: you know there was like that phase in asian culture where asians were like like, bright blue contact lenses and had, like, bleached hair. And that was just, like, an ideal beauty
1: standard for Asian Americans at the time. I mean, there's also there was also those contacts that, like, made your pupils really big, right? Yeah. I mean, in the future, everyone's just going to look like an anime character, right? Isn't
0: that... I mean, there are people who already look like anime characters. <laughs> um, and not to, like, disparage that, because I feel like they do look pretty cool. <laughs> I follow, a, co- a, I follow a, a bunch of cosplayers on on TikTok and Instagram but yeah yeah the the moral of the story is love yourself uh, appreciate the traits that were um Handed down to you by your ancestors. Yeah. And, you know, you know yourself better than these companies do. You know what you need. You know what your body needs. Follow your instincts.
1: Yeah. Don't let those with power tell you how you should live or how you should look or how you should act. You know, I think this is like this book is a cautionary tale to buying into all these trends. And I think um, Ling Ling Huang, you know, she said that when she worked for the wellness company that she was she totally drank the Kool-Aid and had to like deprogram herself from everything. And. It's definitely like it's an insidious industry where they do prey on your insecurities to sell you a bill of goods that ultimately might do you more harm. Right.
0: Yeah. Money can't buy you happiness, but it can sure bring you confidence to some degree. (laughs) And I guess that's close enough.
1: Until (laughs) your face melts off.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: All right. Well, that'll do it for a discussion of... Natural Beauty by Lingling ling Huang. If you have any thoughts about either our discussion or the book itself, um, please let us know on Goodreads or our Discord server if you are a Patreon subscriber. Um, We always love to hear your thoughts. Uh, Before we go, uh, Rira, what are we reading for Book Club for November 2023?
0: So we are reading Squire by Sarah Alfagi and Nadia Shamas. And it is a graphic novel that examines the nature of prejudice and the cost of imperial expansion. Uh, There's a bit of fantasy element to it. And this is our first time reading a book by a Jordanian creator. So I am excited to look into this. I know uh, know Subtle Asian Book Club have also read this as a past book club pick, and I've heard great things about it as well. So this is our first graphic novel of the year in right? a while
1: I think I, th- I think in the a last graphic novel we, we read for book club was Good Talk by Mira Jacob which, is a, which was a graphic memoir so that was I think last year so yeah it's been a while and I'm excited to read this um, it takes place in an alternate history Middle East slash North Africa so um, love that West Asian inspired um, historical fancy setting
0: yeah and you know the topic of the cost of empires very uh, very timely Very timely (laughs) Uh,
1: Alright well with that That'll do it for this episode of Books and Boba Thank you so much for listening um, And we will see you all next time Bye everybody Bye Thanks for listening to Books and Boba This podcast was hosted by Marvin Yue And we Rayu, And edited and produced by Marvin Yue Follow the book club on Twitter and Instagram By going to at Books and Boba And engage with us on Goodreads On our Goodreads group you can also check out past episodes of the podcast by going to booksandboba.com and by subscribing to us on your favorite podcast app. Don't forget, you can support Books and Boba and Asian American authors by purchasing books at our bookshop.org account. Check out the link in our show notes and also at booksandboba.com. Books and Boba is a proud member of the Potlook Podcast Collective, a collective of Asian American hosted podcasts featuring unique voices and stories from the Asian diaspora. Learn more about The Collective and check out our fellow Potluck shows by visiting the website podcastpotluck.com. Thanks for listening.
0: Hi, I'm Charlene Kay. I'm a musician, songwriter, and guitarist. Growing up, I loved music. Whether it was pop, acoustic, emo, I ate it all up. But as a Chinese American kid living in Scottsdale, Arizona, I also felt isolated, never really seeing artists who looked like me or shared my experiences. So after years of performing on stages all over the world, I wanted to create a space to highlight the amazing Asian musicians who I knew were out there, just not always getting played on the radio. That's why I started Golden Hour, a podcast where Asian singers, songwriters, instrumentalists, and music producers share their personal stories. And it's a space for you to discover your new favorite artist. Listen to Golden Hour with me, Charlene Kay, wherever you get your podcasts. Part of the Potluck Podcast Collective.